Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Evan's out on the West Coast. He's been out there with the Rangers and Angels. Evan, how's it going out there? It's early, Kevin, and i got a flight to catch, so let's get started. All right, Evan, we're going to talk about the, these uh, these Rangers uh, who are beating up on those poor Angels. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, throwing people like AJ Alexi out there and... Uh, uh, is unfair against the Angels. They should be they should be throwing Mike Boltonevich instead and give those guys a chance. Well, I, I mean, you can look at it that way if you'd like, I, I suppose, or you could look at it this way that you know the Rangers. Uh, it, it's been a season full of really bad history for the Texas Rangers, um, and if there's anything that's been significant. It's the last month of young pitching uh, performances. Um, AJ Lexi on Monday night went six innings, allowed one hit, and no runs. Uh, it got me thinking very, very quickly um, about the historic manner of that, and I looked it up uh, thanks to Baseball Reference and determined that it was the first time in Major League Baseball history that any pitcher in his first two Major League outings, both starts, had gone at least five shutout innings with one hit or less allowed. So a little hand clap for AJ Alexi. And then, of course, the Rangers did not accept that stat and required Elias Sports Bureau to confirm it, then gave the credit to Elias Sports Bureau. Uh, Evan. Because as John Blake said, we're not taking your unofficial stat. That's that is so crummy, you know. That was a good stat, Evan. I like that. I didn't realize you had gotten that yourself, uh, but that's really good. But I, I listen. I think the point is that Alexi, Taylor Hearn, the, the day before him, and I'm not so sure that Taylor Hearn isn't making a bid to be the Rangers pitcher of the year based on the fact that he's been with the club all year and and how he has pitched in both relief and starting roles. Uh, and Glenn Otto on Friday, after a rough first inning, came back and and, and stuck around the game. I, I think that. You know, if I'm a Rangers fan, I'm looking at this and I'm saying Otto, Alexi, Hearn, uh, Jake Latz had a a solid debut. Um, There's a group right there, along with Dane Dunning as well, uh, you know, of five pitchers. And I'm not saying you cobble together a rotation long term out of that, but I do think that what you're seeing now is you've got the depth of a group right now of five or six or seven young pitchers that will give you part of a rotation. And then there is another wave behind that of about seven pitchers that may give you another half of a rotation. And so by 2024, you could be looking here at a strong homegrown rotation. 
and that is the foundation of a contending club. Um, there's a lot of work to be done on hitters, and there's a lot of work still to be done with these pitchers. But uh, I, I think if there's anything to be um, encouraged about for the Rangers, it, it's the last month of what they've seen from young pitchers. Yeah, I, I agree that, that you know that's the thing about this is that those the the like the five guys you mentioned to start, if you could get two of those five, that's the thing for me is that. Uh, the Rangers, I think, have always thought, oh, we've got a guy. You know, this this guy has shown us something here. It's, it, it never works out that way. You know, you, you do have to have numbers. You do have to have five guys to get two or one. You know, that, that that's just the way it is. Something's going to go wrong. A guy's not going to make adjustments. A guy's going to get hurt. There, something always goes wrong with pitchers. Even when they're, even when they're, they have enough talent and they've shown you they can do something that you just can't count on that. And so that is the, I, I do, I do see that difference in the Rangers now. Uh, it does seem like they've been able to develop more guys. Although I will say, back in the eighties, they looked like this. Uh, in the eighties, they had multiple starters that they brought up, and they didn't all pan out, but they had lots of options back then. Uh, and I think this is the first time since then. I have seen that with the Rangers where I felt like a lot of homegrown guys, you know, they've, they've always had guys they would find on the free agent market, but not homegrown guys. Right. And, and just to go back right to 15 years ago, the last time the Rangers thought they had the nucleus of rotation, uh, everybody decided that Thomas, Tom, uh, Thomas Diamond, John Danks and Edinson Volquez, two of which had solid major league careers were going to be the rotation for years to come. Um, and my point here is, you know, they came up with the DVD nickname and it was going to be all of this stuff. You're not going to get three guys in a group of three to hit. It's just not going to happen. It, right. This is a game now where there's going to be attrition and you've got significant numbers and then you've got to be able to boil it down. And so I, I, I think that the Rangers have that kind of formula starting to bubble up from from the minor leagues into the major leagues. And, and I think the thing to me that has been most impressive is you look at Otto's first outing, um, you look at Taylor's last few outings, and, and, and you look really at Alexi pitching around the second inning last night, and the, the walks, these guys are throwing strikes. You know, they're throwing quality strikes. And Alexi in particular um, is pitching the way a modern pitcher has to pitch, which is – Yes, you, your fastball is going to be probably the most number of pitches that you throw, but you've really got to be able to mix your picks, mix your pitches, pitch, Mitch, mix your pitches, mix your pitches, and he did that very well. It's easy for you to say with the slider, the changeup, and and really even a curveball a little bit last night. So um, uh, that I think, as much as anything, made Chris Woodward really happy to see is that. He's got some guys now who have both the repertoire and kind of the willingness to throw these these secondary pitches in any count. All right, let me ask you this, because this occurred to me the other day. So A.J. Alexi would not be pitching had it not been for the COVID uh, um, guys. You know, so when guys are getting an opportunity that they, you weren't expecting them to get uh, – this is some of this has been like 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 DJ Peter, Peters like uh, uh, like Adolis Garcia guys are getting opportunities to play that they wouldn't have gotten if the Rangers hadn't stunk and hadn't had also had COVID so 
What does that say? Does that say that uh, they're just really fortunate that it worked out this way? Does it say that they got lucky? Does it say that, oh, well, listen, th- these guys are just are just performing well now, but uh, we didn't even have them on the radar really right now. And so what what what, do, what do you think it says about all of In the case of Adolis, it, it, it says that they went out and made a smart um, uh lower level acquisition um whether adolis garcia becomes a centerpiece outfielder for the middle of a a lineup or not he's shown that he can be a contributor he's got good defensive skills he's got big time power uh there has been some exploitation of his his weaknesses but that was that was a a a pro scouting move uh to pick him up from from st louis for nothing um in the case of alexi uh, and and lats um, and, and really to me Taylor Hearn it's been a product of you know they have changed the way they have gone about approaching pitchers over the last couple of years and they have much more individualized and tailored programs for pitchers rather than kind of having this overarching Ranger way um, and and Peters you know I think Peters I'm still not sure what Peters is. Um, there's a lot of concern for me about whether he'll ever be able to hit a, a high fastball, and you've got to be able to hit fastballs in this league. But it, it, it's kind of the luxury you have in the middle of a crap season is you have a high waiver priority, and you have the ability to give these guys some playing time. And maybe the biggest thing that DJ Peters needs is that playing time and um, a little bit of confidence and encouragement from the coaching staff and he wasn't going to get that in L.A. where they were playing for a world championship again. Uh, and he's got a believer in him in Chris in Chris Woodward. I think Chris Young really likes the way the kid approaches the game and the work. And, you know, the hitting coaches can't say enough about his work ethic and how willing he is to put all this stuff in, in, into uh, practice. Whether or not that turns out into a superstar, I would say the, the chances are slim. But you do pick up pieces along the way in all different manners, and, and that's been one thing the Rangers have certainly probed and, and, and plumbed a little bit this year. All right, Evan, we're going to go uh, from uh, we're going to jump from uh, Rangers talk to a little bit of college talk while in the time we have left. Um, uh, it was an interesting first week uh, locally. The uh, Big Twelve went nine and one. Uh, in the first weekend, which is uh, pretty good. Although when you consider the, the caliber of the teams they were playing, maybe not such a great development. SMU also won. Uh, Oklahoma uh, barely got by uh, Tulane, which, uh, which is not good when you're the second-ranked team in the country. Not a good impression to make right off the bat, uh, especially when Alabama goes out and just kills Miami. Uh, so... Uh, and, and Georgia also did a great job uh, in a big game against Clemson. So, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, you broke up were, there for a second. What was that last thing? I'm not. I'm not talking about Georgia and Clemson. Oh. Uh, I, I, I want you to know though, when we had our draft of teams, uh, when the, some of the college writers we drafted teams, I drafted both Georgia and Clemson and Alabama, which tells you something about the lunacy of the other three people on the panel with me. Yes, and I, I will tell you, as, and I've, I've t- said this to you, Kevin, that you um, did the finest job of, of drafting. Um, but I, I think my question for you about the first week of college football season um, is 
Yes, the Big 12 went 9-1. and one. Which do you consider the most impressive of those wins? You know, uh, probably Texas' win uh, over Louisiana. Louisiana, they're the 23rd-ranked team. Texas is 21. Uh, Texas uh, went out and, and played well and played like that you would expect Texas to play. This, to me, looked like an old-fashioned Texas win. You know, the running game uh, was very good. Uh, it, it, this looked like something, you know, from the early 2000s. Uh, you know, when, when Vince Young was there, we're, we're not going to dazzle you. We're just going to come out here and just kind of pummel you and, and beat you because we have su- uh, superior strength in our offensive and defensive lines. And, and that's what we're going to do. So I, I think that was a really good win for Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, I think that's a, a great way to start off your, your uh, tenure uh, when people are getting more and more impatient all the time. I think the worst win was the, uh, uh, the Oklahoma win over Tulane. You know, they gave up a lot of points to Tulane and, you know, for a, a defense that's supposed to have been rebuilt, that's not good at all. I would like to give some shout out to Kansas State. I mean, I don't know how good that Stanford team is, but they ran all over Stanford at, uh, um, at, at AT&T Stadium. Uh, the other thing I, I just want to know at a, at a week one was, as week one was starting to develop, the story about the Big 12's targets came out. And if you can educate me on why this would be a good thing for the big 12 those schools i'd love to hear well i think this all goes back to something i don't really understand quite well enough and that is streaming games and and what is the target of that you know the target appears to be alumni how many subscriptions can you sell and all of those schools have big alumni bases and and of course byu is the you know notre dame of uh for morbin school so that that makes sense from that standpoint. It it does. I don't know how it sells to to ESPN though. Uh, the, when the next contracts come up in 2025, I can't imagine that ESPN is going to give the Big 12 the same money that it gave when the conference had Texas and Oklahoma. So it will be very interesting to see how this develops. I think this all could happen this week, uh, from what we understand, uh, and we'll see where it goes from there. I, I, as I said, I need to talk to some people this week and figure out. You, you definitely need to talk to some people, Kevin. Well, I do need to talk to some people. I need to talk to people just about what I'm doing in, in general, but uh, my, my brain power. But you also need to talk to David Moore. You need to let me go and get to David. I mean, I've got a flight to catch, and, and I know David's going to be on here with you in a few minutes. Um, I know you will tell David that the first half of the show was really um, what kind of sold it. Uh, but... I'm sorry I'm going to miss out on on Cowboy and uh, Buck talk. I'll give you my Cowboys prediction next week. <laughs> on the Bucks? No, for the season. For the season. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Thanks, Evan. We'll see you. And now joining us from the star, David Moore. How are you doing, David? What's going on out there? I, I timed this well. Evan's not here, right? <laughs> Yes, you did time it well. Evans out. Yes. Evans uh, on yes. a plane, or at least he was. He had to leave us to get on a plane uh, to come back. So yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was good for you. Uh, good for everybody. Uh, glad I could just be around for that. Uh, I tell you, someone who will also not be around at least Thursday night will be Zach Martin for the Cowboys. I mean, holy cow! They 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 missed three you know three major players in their offensive line last year. The the one of the big talking points going into this season is how well they're going to be able to play now that all the offensive line is back together. And in the very first game of the season against Tampa Bay, no less, they will not have Zach Martin. 
Yeah, this was going to be the very first game that offensive line would be together. Uh, They never were last season because Lyle Collins uh, never made it to the season. And now they learn against one of the uh, strongest defensive front sevens and two of the most massive interior linemen uh, and active interior linemen in the league in Tampa Bay. Uh, They're going to be going without Zach Martin. Uh, Profound impact on this game. Uh, Connor McGovern will go there. Uh, Conor McGovern's had a good camp. In fact, I think he actually played well enough to mount a challenge to start at left guard. Uh, I think Connor Williams had held him off, but that was a competition that was close enough is something to, to watch at left guard for the remainder of the season, in my mind. But uh, he will be playing right guard here. He's actually probably a little better suited to right guard. That is where he spent most of his time in college. Uh, this coaching staff feels that is his best position, but uh, he is no Zach Martin. And uh, uh, to, to me, the impact on this game is, and, and you know, we're going to talk about Dak's return. This will be the first time Dak has played in a game since last October uh, when uh, gruesomely you saw his foot twisted in the wrong direction. And he saw it as well as he held it up after uh, going down that day against New York. And this will be his first game back. You would not anticipate, and also with the fact he he wasn't in three weeks of training camp with the shoulder, you would not anticipate he would be in peak form. So a guy coming off a major injury who didn't have all of training camp, you want to ease the load on him by leaning on the running game, you would think early. But now without Zach Martin, I think it's going to be much more difficult to run Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, so yeah, I think this has a domino effect that you can't minimize. And, and just very quickly on that, if you want some, uh, qualitative evidence, uh, I believe it's pro football talk did it, uh, you know, Zach Martin missed six games last year as well. But, uh, when Zach Martin was on the field last year, the Cowboys averaged, I believe 4.5 yards a rushing attempt when he was not on the field, they averaged 3.7 yards. So, and again, a lot of that was against defenses not as good as Tampa Bay's interior. Well, that's a nice stat, isn't it? Uh, Almost a yard. (laughs) Happy opener, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, happy opener. Yeah, well, I wasn't really feeling good for the Cowboys' chances, even with Zach Martin, uh, frankly. You know, because when you and I have discussed this uh, before about uh, the fact that Dak Prescott got no reps uh, in any game type situations in the preseason, which which to me is is just crazy. I mean, I realized there were there was a situation there with his shoulder, and the, and they were right to rest him and not to push that that sort of thing. I get all that, but come on, everybody else got their quarterbacks in, got them some reps. You know, uh, of all people, Tom Brady's playing in their last preseason game. Does, yep. does he really need uh, reps? I, I mean, I, I just think that uh, – well, I think, frankly, everybody does. But, he, but you would think a guy that's like what? Is he like 56, 57, something like that? I'm not <laughs> sure how Tom Brady is now. Uh, and and he's out there because he feels like he needs to, to have that kind of situation. You know, everybody needs that sort of thing. No one can just walk in cold and expect to play, and especially when you're opening against – the defending Super Bowl champions. I just think that that was a little crazy. So I can't really expect Dak to go out there and play at his best, and that's exactly what's going to have to happen. He's going to have to be at his very best for the Cowboys to have a chance to beat the Bucs. Not only go out there and play the defending Super Bowl champions, but play the defending Super Bowl champions 
who return everyone, every starter on the defensive side of the ball. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, that that made such a strong push at the end of last season through the postseason uh, that really got them to that title. Uh, it's another Brady title, but you cannot uh, under underestimate or talk too little about what that uh, Tampa Bay defense did on that championship run last year. So, yeah, you know, to me, this is this is an interesting part where the, the Cowboys find themselves because they're they're certainly excited and. Uh, Dak, who hadn't played since October, so many of these guys who haven't played a game in such a long time, they're ready to start the season, but are they ready to win to start the season? And given the opponent, given uh, how there was really no time together on task with the total offensive starting unit uh, during this uh, training camp, you would have to say no. Uh, now, I think this was always a difficult ask anyway to have the Cowboys beat Tampa Bay on the road in the opener uh, when that team is during the ring presentation before. Uh, and you look at it historically, what? I think teams, the, the Super Bowl champion of those games is something like 15-3. and three. I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's, it's pretty significant. So it was always a big ask, but now it, it's difficult to find any path to victory for the Cowboys in this opener. And then... Then you have to look at next week, they're on the road again, traveling to the other coast to play the L.A. Chargers, who have an outstanding young quarterback and a very explosive offense, and they played a lot better at the end of last year, too. So it very quickly, in my mind, shifts from, okay, yeah, you can talk about the Cowboys' ability to win the opener or not, but this team could realistically start 0-2, and and that happens, uh, you know, how much of a challenging position have they put themselves in? Absolutely. Uh, you know, two road games, two two tough games, uh, and your quarterback hasn't played in the preseason at all coming off that injury, all the injuries they had. You know, I, I think what we're going to have to see here, because the, the Cowboys, I, I didn't learn anything about the Cowboys in the preseason. I mean, I, I, I looked at that team and felt like, well, the defense does look better. Uh, I, I think that there's certainly a, a, no question about that. It's going to be better than it was, which was terrible. Um, I, the, I, I really feel like that this defense is going to have to carry the team at least for, for the first couple of weeks into the season. Cause then after that, after the chargers, then you've got Philadelphia, Carolina, the, the giants, and then New England. at home. Yeah. At yes. home you come back. So, yeah. So that's that's going to be a much better time for the Cowboys. Then I really feel like though in this game against the Bucks, which the the, the last time I looked, the Bucks were eight point favorites uh, in that game. If the Cowboys could just cover the spread, they'd be doing really well. I mean, if they if they could get it, if they could keep it close, I think that would be considered a major uh, win for the Cowboys. In a lot of ways, it would it, it would reinforce, especially if the defense looks good. Now, here's the other side of this: we talked about the defense has clearly been ahead of the offense all training camp, has looked good, been very encouraging. You see some things that they uh, certainly, and again, last year was such a low bar. Saying it's better than last year is not really saying much, but it should be significantly better based on what we have seen in training camp, uh, how they're using Micah Parsons, their first round pick. Uh, some of the other players they have in there, the, the, the speed that they've added, uh, the length they've added, um, the different defensive scheme and taking more chances. Uh, th- this defense should be able to do some things. But but now let's play the other side of this coin. And, and 
and this goes to your point about if they can just keep it within eight or less, they should feel pretty good about themselves because as good as they feel about where they are defensively and what they believe they can do this season, they were going up against a quarterback who has won seven Super Bowls, who has carved up some of the best defenses in NFL history with, if the Cowboys don't have the three best receivers in the NFL, Tampa Bay does. So they're going in very quickly. Dallas, all this bluster and this swagger that's starting to, to you know develop on the defensive side of the ball, Tom Brady can take it away from them very quickly. So... Yeah, you know, and if that happens, um, then Dallas comes out of this game going, look, they knew they were going to have farther to go than than you want to acknowledge anyway early in the season. But then you don't want the defense to start questioning itself right away, saying, well, are we really not as good as what we think we're going to be, uh, as what we've shown here? So I, I do think it is imperative of the defense to, to play up to what they showed their potential could be in training camp. Yeah, I don't, don't think there's any question about that because uh, it's a little bit like uh, Oklahoma going out in its opener, the second-ranked team in the country. You're playing Tulane at home, and and you hang on to win that game. You're, you're yeah. looking at the very end of the game, and they're barely going to win. And hang on, yeah, exactly. And, and so, and when you and when that kind of thing happens, you know, you've been trying to sell the fact that well, you know, Alex Grinch has this great defense at Oklahoma now, and they're ready to go. Now they're ready to be a two-way team. Well, they don't look like that two-way team anymore. They have to answer those questions that not only externally to the rest of the nation, they have to answer those questions internally. What went wrong? And I think that's the same kind of thing that can happen here uh, for for this defense. If, if they can hold uh, the, the Bucks to 24 points or less, I, I think that that would be a great start for this defense uh, to do that, whether they win or not. I think that would certainly be an encouraging thing. And I know that sounds a, like a crazy thing to say about a team that has aspirations of a Super Bowl, uh, and and I, but I do think that the that the Cowboys have an opportunity to grow as this season goes along. I think that the I think in the NFC in particular, I think we're seeing a, a kind of a, a title shift here as as uh, it seems like the AFC has has grown. Uh, teams have, have gotten better. Uh, teams has, that have historically not done as well are doing better. And some of the teams in the NFC, I'm just going to have to say, look, I, I want to wait to see before we make a, a determination on that. Teams like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that New Orleans gets as much, uh, you know, um, projection as it does by a, a lot of people in, the, in our business, considering the fact that they don't have a quarterback. You know, uh, I, I I think that the Washington is a really uh, 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 has a great defense, and that's going to be a lot of problems for the Cowboys. But Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback, I'm, I'm just going to have a hard time believing a guy with a losing record in his career who's never taken a team to the playoffs is going to be enough uh, to to win the the uh, NFC East. I, I think that's certainly a possibility, but I ha- I have to believe that the Cowboys have the upper hand in that as well. So, uh, you know, if I'm looking down the schedule here, David, uh, you know, once you get past those uh, 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 the three teams that in the home stretch here against Philadelphia, Carolina, and, and New York, I'm thinking the Cowboys could be three and two after those five games. And then, and then you have New England, and that's in, and that's in Boston. So, uh, so what do you think at that point? Do you think that Mac Jones will be ready to, to, to captain those uh, Patriots over the Cowboys there, or do you believe that that is a game that the Cowboys could take? 
Well, it'll be. I think. I think it's a game the Cowboys can take. Uh, I think you saw last year a lot of teams were able to work out their frustrations on uh, New England, and, and I think it will be similar this year. Uh, I think they're still a, a middle of the pack team with where they are as far as rebuilding, with a rookie quarterback who is not as talented as some of the other rookie quarterbacks in this league. Now, that's not to say he can't be successful. You know, we saw that with Dak Prescott. He was not the most talented rookie quarterback in the league, and, and he led them on a 13-3 run as a rookie. Um, I, don't, I don't know that New England has as much talent around Mac Jones right now as that Cowboys team did around Dak Prescott in his rookie season. So, but, you know, that – to me, that's another one. You know, if the Cowboys are going to return to the playoffs after missing for two straight years and three of the last four, um, they're going to have to win some games that when you look at the schedule, you don't necessarily think they can win. And doesn't New England fall into that category? Uh, that's a winnable game. They're going to have to start winning those games. And to me, it starts with the Chargers in week two. That's another game where you can certainly see them losing that game now, if they lose that game, it feeds into the narrative, well, this really how different is this team from the one we saw last year and the year before that. If they win, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, which I think is highly unlikely, but if they win the Chargers, then you start going, well, uh, you know, I, I thought uh, Mike McCarthy, uh, Mike McCarthy had his last uh, press conference before the game uh, today at the Star, and he said he always viewed the first road win as significant for a team in building for the season. And uh, they're going to have two shots right out of the gate here. And if they start 0-2, and now you're talking about their first road win would be in potentially not until October, uh, that kind of gives you a little bit different feel for where you are. Because you know to reach the playoffs, you're going to have to win some road games. And uh, they didn't do a good job of that last year. They need to do a good job of it this year to get back to where uh, to win this division. Which, frankly, I agree with you. They should be the favorite to win this division. I know Washington won it last year. They have an outstanding defense. I think I like Fitzpatrick a little bit more than you do, but he's certainly an up-and-down quarterback. You don't have the consistency there that feeds into having a good defense, right? I mean, normally you have an outstanding defense. You say, as long as your quarterback's consistent, uh, you're going to be in every game. But I think Fitzpatrick has shown he can win you some games, but he can also throw three interceptions on you in the first half. And now suddenly that defense doesn't look so good because they were in short fields and they're down 21-6. Yeah, he's got a little Vinny Testaverde in him to me. Uh, just a, a kind of guy who has his moments and looks really good and then looks like, wow, how do you get, get in this mess? Yeah. All right, let's go down a little bit. I, and I agree with you that and that's a great point about uh, winning a game on the road. It's a little bit like the old NBA. You know, the, the playoffs haven't mm -hmm. started until the first team wins on the road. Exactly. Uh, so, so we go down here uh, after New England. You got at Minnesota. I think that's a winnable game. Uh, you got home at Denver. That's a winnable game. Uh, home against Atlanta. That's a winnable game. And then you play at Kansas City on the November twenty first, and and I and I think that's a loss. That does not appear to be a winnable game at the moment. That no. does not appear to be a winnable game. And then you got Las Vegas at home, and then at New Orleans, uh, at Washington. I'm going to say that Washington is not a. a, a you're not going to sweep the uh, Washington. You're going to split with them. I would think most likely. Then at New York, 
uh, then Washington again, then Arizona at home, and then at Philadelphia. I, you know, I've got the Cowboys going ten and seven, but I, you know, I look on this schedule, I, I just don't see. You know, it, it starts out as hard as it's going to be all year long, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and then, and then from that point on, I just don't see the a time in the season where you've got a two or three or four game stretch like, wow, how are they going to get through that? that mess you know to me this is all about the cowboys in this season are they going to be the team that they think they are you know and what they what they believe they have built or are they going to be the the team that uh, last year that was so confounding even with all the 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 health issues that they had and 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 of course you know a lot of that was uh beyond their control and so it's like hey what are they going to do when they lose their quarterback and three-fifths of their offensive line and all of that but how much of it is also silly mistakes, silly things, silly decisions made on the field and special teams and, and, and the rest of it. So, David, where do you believe this team is closer to? Is it, is it closer to a team that's going to make sound decisions and, and going to play up to the talent that it has accumulated? Or is it going to be a team that is going to sink back into doing the same things it has done in the last three or four years? Well, what's difficult to, to separate sometimes, I think, is as the season was going south last year, and it went south early because of the injuries, and, and there was an accumulative effect, really, from week one. You know, I mean, you lost Leighton Vanderish, uh, what, in the opener last year, and Tyron Smith went down, and and so you knew from the start, and then you only got to game five before that. Uh, I think when things are starting to unravel like that, a coaching staff will make some riskier decisions in the hopes of jump-starting a team or feeling they are desperate for a particular win because you can't let it get away from you because of the way things are going. So I think you coach into a bad situation when you're already sliding into a bad situation, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, if you see that again this year, that that's very disturbing. I mean, it, you know, with a 17-game season, if the Cowboys don't have the cascading injuries – major injuries that they had last year. And that's highly unlikely to envision that happening two consecutive years. If they don't have that, they should be able to right themselves even after a bad stretch over the course of this season. So I would expect sounder coaching decisions because of that, uh, because there's not a sense that this thing is slipping away, uh, that you know we have the talent here, let's just stay the course rather than, oh, we're at our last gasp here. We got to stop this right now or, or it's done. So I think there will be sounder decisions. Uh, another thing, though, here, everyone points to like how explosive the Cowboys' offense is, and I agree with that. If it's not more efficient, that explosiveness isn't going to help because how often last year you can say, oh, well, the team around Dak Prescott, if he would have been here last year. Well, Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott were the ones turning the ball over in the first half of games last year putting this team down 21-3, 21-6, where they had to throw on every possession, where they had to get away from the running game, where they had to be one-dimensional. So they must be a much more efficient offensive team this year. Uh, the, the phrase the Cowboys keep using in Mike McCarthy and the players is complementary football. They have to be a much better complementary football team this year. And that means the defense has to step up. It means they have to run when they need to run, and they can't be throwing 50 to 55 times a game. So David, where did you where did you pick the Cowboys this year? Like you, I went ten and seven. I, I think we're on the uh, the, the most optimi- 
optimistic members of the Dallas Morning News staff, from what I saw. <laughs> That's because um, we're sunny guys. We're 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 at glass half full guys. No we? question. Yes, you and I are for sure. <laughs> Some of the right. other guys, we know what they are. Exactly. Um, many of them are glass empty guys, not even half full. <laughs> But exactly. I, I, I think, Tan, because of the division they play in, because they play a third-place schedule, uh, because they had basically all of their key players hurt last year, and you would not anticipate that again, uh, 10 is very realistic to me. And I, and I think 9 and 8 would still do a, give them a shot at the playoffs, uh, especially with the expanded playoff field. But I, I think 10 and 7 is a very realistic number. Well, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, that game is going to be Thursday against the Bucks in Tampa Bay. We'll see how they do and how they start out. I think if they just come out of there alive, everything's good. Yes. Okay. That would, <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're still alive. All right, David, that's going to do it for our, our podcast this week. We thank everybody for coming in and joining us. Uh, uh, Evan uh, Grant is on his way back, and uh, we'll be back in the studio. Well, we don't, we're not back in the studio. We're just back in our own personal studio. His studio. Yeah, his studio anyway. So until then, we'll see y'all. Take care. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.